Blimey. This is one out of a jam jar, you got here. House of Mystery contains demons, angels, elementals, magicians, wizards, apparitions, adult language, and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not enter the House of Mystery. All right, then. On with the show. All right, hello. Welcome, everyone, to the House of Mystery, the John Constantine and Friends podcast. I am Michael Flores, the host of this show, the curator of the House of Mystery, the butler of the House of Mystery, the Demon Guardian of the House of Mystery, and in the studio or in the House of Mystery with me, my special guest, David, hello. Hey, at least the House of Mystery is actually much, much nicer than a house owned by a certain demon that we're going to be talking about. That's true. I definitely don't want to swim in a bath of human goo. Yeah, I don't want to swim in human goo. Although although the, the whole... Uh, theater where you could throw people into the theater thing and watch them die. Kind of interesting. <laughs> now that's interesting. I know a few people I'd like to throw into a movie or two and just watch them suffer. Well, instead of death, you know, you could put on porn. Oh. See? <laughs> Maybe they can throw me into this movie and I can have my way with the Queen of Angels. Or oh. she can have her way with me. And same thing with the uh, Nightmare Nurse. We'll just have a party. Nightmare Nurse, yes. All right, I mean, Nurgal, like, throw me. I don't know throw you, me into that theater screen. I'm I don't ready. know if you want to go with the 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 city, the, the embodiment of the city, because, sure. I mean, she was changing into some... As long as... Historical figures, Mike. <laughs> listen, as long as she stays in her form that she seduces me in, I'm fine. <laughs> just don't switch halfway through the party and if you do make sure i'm about four lines in <laughs> or at least 25 shots please <laughs> all right so today we're going to discuss review breakdown the 2018 dc animated feature constantine city of demons I've been wanting to discuss this movie for a while now. Uh, when this project was originally announced, I was, in fact, stoked as the DC animated features had been killing it at the time. I mean, home run after home run. So the chances of this being a great ball of success was there. If DC animated was or if the DC animation was not on such a, a high at the at that point, I probably would have been as stoked, but because their track record was uh, was there, I was definitely excited. Now, Constantine City of Demons is an American animated web series from executive producers Greg Berlanti and David S. Goyer. Yep. And yes, I say animated web series because that's what it was originally. And then later they turned it into a feature film. It's slightly connected to the live action series Constantine through actor Matt Ryan. So there's just that connection there who lends his talents as the voice of John Constantine. And just to be clear, Matt Ryan is John Constantine. Yes. Yeah, he is. <laughs> there's no doubt. Yes. You, you gotta have uh, wherever Matt Ryan goes. I think at this point, Constantine is constantly going to be tied with him. Yeah. 
And I know there are people that have, for the most part, Matt Ryan is, is championed. Like most people are very happy with his portrayal as John Constantine, both in live action and, you know, voice iterations. But there are those people who have voiced their complaints about his accent at times. And I'm like, you're just being nitpicky because this guy embodies the comic that I'd read since the early nineties. He embodies that, that character, whether he might mess up here and there on that accent. Cause it doesn't fit, fit the specific dialect that you hope it would. Doesn't matter. The guy is John Constantine. Yeah, because he gets he understands Constantine more than just understanding the stereotypical archetypes that people go to smoking and oh, uh, you mean smoking British a accent and wears a trench coat? No, Constantine's more than that. <laughs> that doesn't make John Constantine John Constantine. No, no, no. If you put on a trench coat and smoke, that that doesn't just make you Constantine. I, I think that's cosplayer talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, I know this isn't a Matt Ryan show, but uh, it, listen, he is the talent behind the voice of John Constantine in this movie, and he has done a great job yet again. Oh, yeah. And that's to be commended because there's a lot of times that there's great actors out there that have lent their voice to animation and video games and it doesn't translate well. It really doesn't. And do you think at this point DC is going to offer the job to anyone else? If they're doing a cartoon now, I'm not talking about movies. We already know, you know, the executives over at Warner have their heads up their asses all the time when it comes to the live action. But when it comes to the animation at this point, do you see them actually reaching out to someone else and say, hey, would you like to play John Constantine? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I think no. that as long as Matt Ryan wants to do it, the job is his at this point. I mean, he's now he's now done, what, three years roughly on Legends of Tomorrow, right? Yes. Uh, he's done a couple guest spots on Arrow beforehand then of course the tv show his short-lived tv show which is a travesty that was canceled not the show the show was amazing it was a travesty that it was canceled it was canceled uh, and then he's done justice league dark then he did constantine city of demons this film here we're talking about and then there's another one just around the corner another justice league dark film yep i just don't see them reaching out to anyone else at this point no even let's say 10 years down the road, let's say he's an older gentleman. He can't really play Constantine anymore. Live action wise. Well, you know what? He could still do the voice. He could be Constantine's version of the gentleman that plays Batman for the past. However many years I forget his name, Kevin Conroy. Yes. He can be Constantine. He can be the Constantine version of Kevin Conroy. Or even take it even further Mark Hamill's version of the Joker. That's, right. That's like a constant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so this feature film is set in the DC animated movie universe, at least according to the official press release, and is a spinoff of the 2017 animated feature film Justice League Dark. But then there has been there has been some conflicting reports saying that despite being set in the same universe as Justice League Dark, it is not intended to be an installment 
of the DC animated movie universe. Yes. That's confusing. Justice League Dark is officially established in the DC animated movie universe. That's that's it's part of its continuity. And if this is a installment, a spinoff of Justice League Dark set in the same universe, then why would this not be considered part of continuity as well? So I don't know. I was thinking possibly it had something to do with the fact that it was on the CW seed originally. And I don't know if they had originally planned for this to be officially a part of the DC animated universe because they said it was not intended to be an installment of the DC animated movie universe. I don't know. As of now, I guess I could do some research. I could do my due diligence and figure out why, but I think possibly now it might be considered DC animated universe canon. But I, originally this was to air on the CW seed, and I don't know if they had any future plans originally. I think because this was such a smash hit, they're like, shit. <laughs> they're like, we got, we have to continue. We have to add this. Yeah. Yeah. So outside of all that, more importantly, this is an adaptation of the Vertigo graphic novel Hellblazer, All His Engines by Mike Carey and Leonardo Manco. Interestingly, as I was saying, the film started on the CW's online streaming outlet, CW Seed, which just doesn't compute. And it makes me slightly angry as well. And I'll tell you why. Number one, it doesn't compute because the CW Seed is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> like, let, let's just let's just call it how it is. The CW Seed is garbage. And this show is excellent. <laughs> I do not understand how this happened to broadcast on the CW seat. Maybe they were trying to prove themselves and say, hey, listen, we can't give you guys Constantine in a live action form. But, hey, we're going to fucking deliver in this web series and you're going to fucking love it. And it makes me slightly angry because if you can churn out content like this, that's. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's produced by the CW. If the CW is capable of putting together content like this, what the hell are we watching every week on the CW? Exactly. Because <laughs> this is amazing, right, Dave? And yeah, this this absolutely is a really great piece of DC storytelling. I mean, it deserves to get praise and it deserves to actually be be touted as one of the best, best, not just animations, but like media versions of DC comics. Yeah. And like you, you have some validity there to actually think why the hell would CW just take it away and basically say, Oh, here you go. We'll give you this. And I know at this time, the CW seed was, they were trying to experiment. This is of course, before uh Warner media streaming service was a thing. Uh, this was also way before the DC universe was planned. Uh, Warner Brothers just throws out ideas and they just see what sticks. And I know the CW seed was originally going to be a place where they try things out and see if it will work in other media formats on the main CW channel. So perhaps this was them trying out Constantine's fame, his likability uh, in terms of, or I should say when it comes to the CW audience. So regardless Later down the road, because of its success, the series was later released as a feature-length picture on Blu-ray and 
video on demand. There are some big names attached as well. David S. Goyer, for one, as uh-huh. the big swing and dig executive producer. It was written by J.M. Demetrius and directed by Doug Murphy. There's some big names attached. There, I mean, there's some really big names attached. David S. Goyer is a film icon at this point. One of the writers of the Dark Knight trilogy, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. So why don't you give me your initial thoughts overall in a nutshell on this feature film here, Dave? My initial thoughts on this feature film, I was really excited to see this because I originally saw the... I initially saw this in its broken broken up pieces into the into its web form, right? On the shitty CW seed. CW seed. And then it is amazing how you view it on that, on that streaming service, but then when you see it in full length feature, this is something that should have honestly been adapted right away into a Constantine the Constantine series. Yeah. I mean, the, the the writing in this series, even though it started off as a web series, this is better than some of the other, you know, DC written material that's out there. Hey, Dave, t- are you taking a seat? Are you sitting down over there? Because yeah. I would even say this is better than the Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I would. I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Keanu Reeves' Constantine is a good movie. It isn't a great Constantine movie, but I would even go past. I would go beyond just saying it's a better Constantine movie. I might even say it's a better movie. Yes. I mean, the, the attention, the detail, there's so much going on. Yes. Emotionally, uh, visually. The director did a really good job. Doug Murphy didn't just adapt a piece of uh, a famous Constantine story. He made it his own. And uh, the thing I like is also the fact that they brought in someone like Doug Murphy, who's actually very well known for comic book animated uh, features that the way he directs uh, some of the series in his past, he's been tied to Wolverine, the X-Men, which is a fantastic series from Marvel that still holds up to today. And then you have him also from Young Justice, which everyone knows Young Justice is a very popular series that literally forced CD to or CW to or DC to actually make a second and third season because of the fan, the fan uproar that they wanted more of it. And Doug Murphy was behind some of those, uh, uh, some of that uh, uh, storytelling. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he did a great job. He did a fantastic job. And it's like when you take a look at the whole package that they gave us at the end, when we get the Blu-ray and you, it it does leave you a little frustrated thinking they could have taken this to live action. We could have seen, we could have. Don't get me angry. Yeah. We could have seen. Don't get me mad. Ryan do this. Can you imagine (laughs) if this was live action? First off, it, it would be it would probably be like NC seventeen, possibly rated X. Oh my god! With all the freaking it, violence. Yes, and I know you can get away with a lot more with animation, and I feel like that's part of the. So I think that's a big part of the win for this particular adaptation because they were able to do certain things that you can't really do in live action. I think it conveyed 
a version of a Constantine that I don't think we'll ever get truly in live action. You just can't. You can't adapt this type of stuff to live action. Oh, yeah. All the fat Lindas of the Midwest will, will complain. Oh, my God. <laughs> violence and gore. Violence and gore. And what is he doing with that woman in the bathroom? Why is he having sex with all of Los Angeles? This is a violation. <laughs> he didn't ask for permission or consent. Like, honestly, dude, I would I would challenge any comic book fan out there to watch this movie mm-hmm. and try to come up with an excuse why this isn't worthy of being considered one of the best comic book adaptations. Are of you all challenging time. trolls right now? Yeah, I'm challenging yeah. trolls. Because you never challenge a troll. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the official synopsis. A decade after a tragic mistake, family man Chaz and occult investigator John Constantine set out to cure Chaz's daughter, Trish, from a mysterious supernatural coma. With the help of the mysterious nightmare nurse... Who's my girlfriend? God, I love the Nightmare Nurse. The influential Queen of Angels, who's also my girlfriend, <laughs> and a brutal Aztec god. The pair just might have a chance at outsmarting the demon. A demon to save Trisha's soul. Okay, Dave, so as far as adaptations go, I thought that Doug Murphy and J.M. Demetrius, hopefully I'm saying his last name correct. Dan Matias did an excellent job. We all know at this point, adaptations can be tricky. Oh, yes. And most of the time turn out to be a complete and utter disaster. Mm -hmm. I usually say that the best thing to do is just make sure you capture the essence, the soul of the source material, and the rest will work itself out. And... Hopefully fans won't eat you alive. I think some of the biggest mistakes that people do or make when they're trying to adapt something, whether it be a comic, a a novel, is either A, they try to be 100% truthful to the or true to the source material, which is it, which is an impossible task for the most part, or they say F it. I'm going to do something entirely different. And usually both piss people off. When you try to do a 100% accurate adaptation. Yes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because you're dealing with two very different mediums. And it's impossible to adapt something the correct way. So the best way to do it is to make sure you capture the essence and choose your battles. Mm-hmm. Choose your battles. Focus on what you, what the source material is trying to say. Whether it be you know a theme or a specific uh, emotion uh, that they want to capture that connects to the main protagonist, uh, the protagonist's character arc, and I think you're going to be just fine. But what we get sometimes is just giant convoluted messes. Because because they're worried of we have to throw in this piece of fan service to appease the fans. And that's partially why when I look back at this, when I look back at this movie, I'm like going, did they capture the essence of Constantine? And out of everything I've seen with Constantine, I have to say, yeah, they const- they captured what who John is. Right. 
and not just who John is, but also the source material itself and what they were trying to do within that particular book. And I, I don't think Demetrius, as far as I know, has ever actually written a Hellblazer or Constantine title of any kind. But that didn't slow him down one bit. It's not easy to capture the subtle nuances of John Constantine. This is something you and I have been talking about a lot lately because we are gearing up to jump into some new 52 titles soon. Yes. And there are times within the early run of the new 52 where John is portrayed as nefarious and sinister. And that's not John Constantine. No. Sure, he's a bit of a of an adrenaline junkie. Definitely arrogant. Definitely arrogant. Overconfident, but never sinister. Demetrius did did it right. He focused on the guilt. The desire for redemption, but not redemption for himself, not redemption for John Constantine. Uh, he was scripted in a way that would convey that it was more about the ones in his life. He wanted to be redeemed in their eyes. Even if it was just for a moment until they had all forgotten him. How powerful is that? That he was willing to do all these things and lose his only friend in the world. His only friend in the world. That's how you adapt source material you focus and you choose your battles and they focused on Constantine and the emotional arc and what it would mean for him by the end when the story faded to black yeah because ultimately one of the biggest one of the biggest ideals or morals that John has always lived by in all his stories he always tells people everything comes at a cost it's a very nihilistic way of looking at it. You know, he, and that's who John is. Everything has to come at a cost. If you want something bad enough, how much are you willing to pay for it? Hence why, you know, he always, you always see him tied to stories that deal with making deals with demons and making, making the hard to, hard to, uh, hard to make choices. Yeah. That's who John is. That's one of the biggest, I would say probably the biggest concept or, or ideal of John. He understands that basically in, at the end of the day, everything comes at a cost, whether it's good or bad. And but he if you're trying to do something, and he doesn't gonna, enjoy it. Yeah. He doesn't enjoy it. That's a thing that really gets under my skin when you read some of the, the, the new 52 stuff. Like it, it, The way they write it and the way it's, Drawn out. They show a man that is thirsty for chaos. Debatably, no, not de debatably. John Constantine is an adrenaline junkie. He's an addict. He's an addict. We that's clear. Yeah. But it, there are many addicts who hate the addiction. Exactly. They don't crave it many times well they do many times they fight that craving they don't want it and that's the john constantine we get in iterations like this and this is the john this is true to john constantine yeah i mean the source material is amazing and it, it to begin with and Demetrius didn't attempt to reinvent the wheel too much because all the good stuff was there just go through it sort it out and find what will work on the screen he focused on capturing the soul of the book 
And that's why this is a good adaptation. He isolated key emotional moments. The incident of Newcastle that we all know about this point, Astra, his mental breakdown elements that he could easily craft into a cohesive serialized serialized plot. And strangely enough, this is what just surprises me and blows me away written tight enough to work as a film, because you got to remember originally this had been written as a serialized webisode. And then when they added the additional 20 minutes for the feature film version, this is what we got. It, it, it's seamless. So, I mean, Demetrius was working overtime to just make everything work together. And I, this is why I'm, po- I'm wondering if they did have this planned out. Maybe it was, it was always going to go to, to feature length because it's just, everything just flows so well when you watch those webisodes and then you see the two hour or the 90 minute run and how it all came out in that Blu-ray and video on demand release. It, it feels like it was planned the entire time. Cause we both know what happens when you take episodes of TV, whether they be five minute episodes or 45 minutes and you try to turn them into a movie. It never works. It never works because there's something missing. Well, the pacing's off. Mm -hmm. There aren't those key moments that you need when you're watching a film. And there are big lulls in spots because it's not designed for you to sit down and watch a movie. It's it's designed to be ingested in a serialized format. It plays very differently, whereas this works just fine as a feature length. And that's what really impresses me. I mean, don't get me wrong. Demetrius is a very, very well-renowned and well-known comic book writer. Right. He's a comic book writer. Some of the some of these stories that Demetrius has done are some of the most historic in all of comic book history. You have Craven's Last Hunt. You have his work with, um, formerly known as Justice League. I believe, yeah, yeah. Where, where he did a he won an Eisner for that one. But again, for comic book writing, this is something that me and you have always harped on. That basically, like, there's a difference in writing for one piece of media to another, and the fact that he was able to write something for a web series that and turned it into a movie. That's something to be really, really impressed with. Yeah, and that's why. I put this off so much. I put this off watching it for a very long time, watching this film because I was sure the feature version of this adaptation would be a complete mess because the original iteration of city of demons again, yes, five short webisodes originally, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. I was paranoid that this adaptation was going to be a convoluted mess because first the story was a graphic novel. Then it was adapted to a webisode. Then 20 minutes was added. And then it was adapted and combined and turned into a feature. What? Can you imagine being in that planning room? You would be like pulling your hair out. This isn't going to work. It's going to be a convoluted fucking mess. And yet all of it just worked so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, an adaptation of an adaptation. (laughs) (laughs) that's essentially what this is that's what it is and that's why uh, you know i give massive props even though i know demetrius is is a fantastic writer Mm -hmm. but the ability that he he showed to actually go from comic book to writing for 
a web series and turning that web series and writing more to make it into a movie. That's impressive. That's an impressive feat. Yeah. High quality stuff too. And maybe that's where David S. Goyer comes in from the feature side of things. Since he's, since he is predominantly a feature film guy at this point. So everything worked when it comes to this movie stylistically, uh, it's appropriately skeevy with the right amount of horror and creep. Yeah. Uh, the aura is adequately brooding. As we know, when it comes to a Constantine Hellblazer title, it's got to yeah, be Yeah, you got to have that there. That's It's an element that I feel that because Constantine was brought into the new 52, they had to, into, they had to cut back on. Yeah. Because I understand you can't have like people having their heads ripped off in front of what? mass audiences. That doesn't work. It, that it doesn't. People don't want to see that. You can't have human sacrifice. No, that doesn't work. You can't have sex with the whole city of Los Angeles. Yeah. You can't have hardcore bathroom raunchy sex with people. <laughs> you mean if the city of Los Angeles, uh, beckons you to the bathroom for a good time, you'd say no. Would you say yes? You <laughs> well, just dude, make sure no one's watching. I mean, even the, that's a question, Dave. <laughs> Go ahead. But even the scene where he enters the house of uh, uh, Bale Mm -hmm. and that party scene. That's insane, dude. I'm like going, what the hell? Was one of the demons playing uh, a a harp with a naked woman on it? With a naked woman on it. That's pretty dope. And then another person was having bats flying out of his ass. (laughs) And I was like going, okay. And that's why I said this is a better Constantine movie than the 2005 Keanu Reeves. Yes. Because where were bats flying out of people's asses? <laughs> and I'm not just joking, I'm, but I'm being serious as well. I mean, this is the world of Constantine. That's the world of Constantine, yeah. So I just don't see us ever getting anything as disturbing in a live action. I really wish we would, though, because like, we could, but it's not going to happen in this modern era. It's just not. If this was 1999, look at Blade. Blade was was dark and oh, Blade was cool. And there were disturbing the moments. And in fact, if you go back and watch it now, they still are disturbing. Some of those moments. They're uncomfortable, unsettling, maybe yes. not disturbing, maybe disturbing isn't the right word. Unsettling, because that's what ultimately that's what. A Constantine live action movie cannot feel like a superhero movie. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It has to feel like a horror movie. That's that's what it is. Yeah. That's what Constantine's storytelling is all about is to make you feel uncomfortable, to shock you, and to make your brain want to scream at the void. <laughs> yeah. It, it all worked. It, even the score. It was dark and it had this like vibrational tone to it that coalesced with the gritty imagery. Yeah. Like it hit. So even the director was able to put together this score uh, with his composer that just meshed with the visuals perfectly. The timing was great. So all of it worked. Uh, the animation was fantastic as well. Warner Brothers animation was in fact the studio involved, of course. But I feel like this was a unique project. For Warner Brothers Animation, because at times, Dave, you're a big anime guy. At times, I felt like I was watching Japanese animation with some of the the, the way the demons were were drawn out. Oh yeah. Um. In fact, there is a Japanese animation this reminded me of. Uh, interestingly, it was um, 
the guy that did Ninja Scroll. Oh, uh, uh, Demon City. Demon City Shinjuku. Yep. Didn't it feel that like that at times? Oh, yeah. Especially like in the more d- disturbing parts of like, you know, the demons twisting humanity. Yeah. I'm wondering if that was their inspiration for some of the looks. Some I wouldn't of the be visuals. surprised because now that I think about Demon City Shinjuku, some of the stuff that, you know, like the snake lady. Yes. Oh, yes. man. That's the one scene. I still, I still say the one scene that sticks out in my brain is that moment when he walks into the manor yeah. and you see all these <laughs> very demented sights, and it's like that's gonna stick in me for like in the back of my head as like a nightmare fuel. Well, yeah, dude. When I was watching, I had to look behind my back. I'm like, is my kid <laughs> in this room? I don't want him seeing this stuff. This is disturbing. And Demon Season Juku does the same thing, especially yep. with its gore factor, with heads exploding and eyeballs popping out. And in fact, you get that with a lot of like the scenes where uh, Nurgle, when when Nurgle kills all the cultists, holy crap! Yeah. I wasn't expecting that gore. Yeah. Especially in a in in a animation, and we know that we both have seen Warner Brothers animation where they're rated R films, and there's some pretty intense action and violence, but language and violence, but nothing quite like nothing this. like this. And that's why my hats off to Warner Brothers for willingly, you know, pushing the envelope, creating a unique film. This is something that, you know, I know the Marvel fanboys just love their MCU. And listen, I'm I'm a fan of a lot of it. I think there's some big mistakes in, in some of the more recent films. But, but this is better than anything that Disney's owned Marvel site would ever do. Can you imagine Disney's MCU ever willingly <laughs> pushing the envelope like this? No. Never, never. And I'm not saying gore for gore's sake. I'm not a fan of gore for gore's sake. You have to have the right IP, intellectual property. Yes. Or franchise like Constantine. And you need to make a story that's appropriate to that character. And the violence needs to fit the source material. Yeah. And that's why, you know, like, it's funny to me that basically people tout, oh, this latest like Doctor Strange is going to be like a a horror film. I'm not going. We both know it's not going to be. We both know it's not because that doesn't fit that character. You know, if the real challenge, the real challenge to me for D, for Marvel fanboys out there is, wait till we see Blade. That's the one that basically will tell mm-hmm. tell us can they do it, and it's obvious that basically. DC, at least on the, its animation side, is willing to go this far. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have my problems with Warner Brothers and, and their decision making sometimes. But then there's projects like this where you just thank them and say, thank you for for taking a chance. Taking a chance. This, not- is, a, this is a risky project. Mm-hmm. It really is the type of content. The, so the, the only the only thing that basically we could we could complain about for dc is the fact that they'll give us stuff like this but then they won't go any further well they'll take the chance yeah but then they'll stop because they'll 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 say okay we get we took a chance and now we're just afraid to now well this (laughs) was a big hit with many of the john constantine fans so so I'm I'm I think the future looks pretty good for at least the animation side especially with the upcoming uh 
Justice League Dark uh, Apocalypse War. Yes. Is that what it's titled? And yeah. Dude, that looks really interesting because like one thing that I've always felt that D- DC is hard, had a hard time to do is tell us a superhero story that feels like it's being told in a vertigo type of setting. Right. Yeah. And when you see that, when you see what they were able to do with say like this, like Constantine and then take this into justice league dark, it gives you hope that yes, we can finally get an a official superhero story that can be embraced by mature readers and say vertigo fans, because that's the thing that a lot of fans point to is kind of like old school vertigo fans basically look at like the new 52 and say, Oh, it's just watered down or it's, it's too kid friendly. It's not mature enough, the material. And it's not about sex violence or anything. It's give us drugs a, and rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> it's about, you know, like giving us a, a substantial story that we as the audience can really, really glean off of. Yeah. Or rally behind, you know, get behind. Like I'm dude, I'm an Uber fan of this. I am too. And I'm, I'm not a cartoon guy. I know that sounds silly because I like Hellblazer comics and I like comic books for the most part, but I'm not a cartoon guy. I never have been. When I was a kid, yes. Uh, and I like anime, the more, the 90s titles. But I'm not a big cartoon guy. So for me to, like, get behind this project, it says a lot, I think, about this film. Because I, when I watched it, about five minutes in, I forgot it was a cartoon. Because it was that engrossing. Mm-hmm. And that's how you could tell a really good animation is when... All of the first thing by far is, like, is is the thought process of it being a quote unquote cartoon bothering you. Right. And if that doesn't come into your brain, that tells you that basically there's something special you're watching here. Yeah. All right. So let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to jump into the rest of our discussion. We'll be right back. Who the hell do you think I am? Benedict bloody combat match. The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. It's so powerful. And a little demeaning. Right. You know, I use this to pump me up in the mornings. I put it on. Like reverse psychology? I I go to the segment of the show where Tony just cursed me out. Mm -hmm. And I play it. Just to remind me. To remind me of past sins and also the berating that I obviously like and need to start my day. I look in the mirror and I just. I'm like, look at your hair. Your hairline. Where is it going? Uh, your fucking nose. Your ears as you get older. Your fucking wrinkles. Your crow's feet. Your small dick. Your fucking belly fat. Where's your abs at? You do abs every day. Your chest. Where? Biceps. Where? I work out seven days a week. And yet I can't enjoy my food. The Rain Man Show. Exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Head over to RainmanDigitalMedia.com for more details or search for it wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Keep Rayman Digital on the air through 2020 by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital to pledge. All right, welcome back everyone to House of Mystery. If you like our broadcast, or if you dislike us, that's fine too. Be sure to leave us reviews and give us a thumbs up on iTunes as well as Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, The more people that give us reviews and share our shows, we actually pop up more on those feeds. It activates the algorithms and more people can find us. So please do so. Thank you. All right. So let's talk about the players in this. Let's talk about the more obscure. When I say obscure, you know, we have to also take into account, Dave, that we may have people who are new to Hellblazer, new to the the world of Constantine. So let's start with the nightmare nurse. Now, she's a relatively new character. I believe her first appearance wasn't until the start of the new 52. Yeah, it was during the Justice League Dark. Yeah, she's affiliated with the Justice League Dark. Her alias is Alice Winters. Uh, The earliest appearance of the demonic being known as the Nightmare Nurse saw her working as a housekeeper named Aza. For a woman named Alice Winter in the House of Mystery. All right, look at that. So we can have Asa in our House of Mystery? She's on my lap right now. <laughs> Alice became ill and Asa knew that there was no way to cure her since Asa was in need of a new host as her current body was old and decrepit. Oh, I don't have the old and decrepit one on my lap, okay? I'm telling you right now, Dave. You can have that one. <laughs> she decided it would be best for her to possess the younger woman's body. Alice's, but it is for the best. Absolutely. Uh, Alice's body became Aza's as the nightmare nurse, the healer from hell. This part's pretty interesting. The phantom stranger, the nightmare nurse's first interaction with the justice league dark occurred after the phantom stranger was impaled by Dr. 13 using this spear of destiny and his soul was removed from his body. When the body was brought to the JLD, they realized that they would need assistance in retrieving his soul. With some protests on the part of John Constantine, Zatanna summoned the Nightmare Nurse. And that is how she became affiliated with Justice League Dark. We also have the Queen of Angels. <laughs> now, Dave, I had, I have read John Constantine Hellblazer All His Engines the original graphic novel 
I don't remember this character. Is she made specifically for this movie? I believe she is made solely for this movie. Okay, because I was very confused. I like the idea. I think it really worked. Oh, dude. I mean, the concept of this concept of this uh, character is freaking phenomenal. I mean, I mean, God's sakes, a person like Frank Miller would die, would give his right testicle for a character like this. I can almost see um, who's the... Uh, it feels a bit like something that Grant Morrison would do. Yes. Having a character that would embody a group, a collective of individuals. Well, dude, Danny the Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that. So it does work. The archetype definitely works into a a vertigo slash or vertigo-ish type Constantine world. Yes. Now, if we were wrong... Listeners out there, and you know, please tweet us at Hellblazer Dude on Twitter and let us know we're wrong. But I don't remember the Queen of Angels in the original source material at all. Yeah, the same here. Basically, the the only the only Queen of Angels that I can think of is in Marvel, and that's in a different universe. And that was created by what McFarlane, right? Yes, that was created by McFarlane. Yeah, see, that's where my mind went when I heard Queen of Angels. So, uh, and then we had Nurgle, which I think every Constantine fan knows Nurgle. Knows Nurgle. <laughs> He's pretty much Lex Luthor to see for, for John. Yeah, it's it's John Constantine's Lex Luthor. It's John Constantine's Joker. Is that a fair comparison? It's, oh, absolutely. Nurgle is like honestly his foil. That's why whenever something really catastrophic ha- is going to happen. Especially to John, it's Nurgle. Nurgle. <laughs> That's why when you have the big quote unquote twist in the middle of everything, not giving away any spoilers, but finding out that it was Nurgle this whole time made so much sense to me. And yeah. when it, it happens, I, I found myself just sitting back going, oh, no, this makes complete sense now. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of the source material, so let's get a little bit more into the book that this movie uh, is adapted from. Uh, John Constantine Hellblazer, All His Engines is the name of the book. It was an original graphic novel featuring, of course, John Constantine, yep. written by Mike Carey with art by Leonardo Manco. The graphic novel is actually considered a spinoff of the long-running series Hellblazer. Hellblazer, yes. Published by the DC Comics imprint Vertigo. It was first published in January 2005. The graphic novel follows John Constantine's investigation into a world phenomenon that is placing innocent people into comas. Yeah. So it seems like it follows the graphic novel pretty close. I'm going to go back and read this. I'm thinking because it's been I believe I I read this when it was brand new in 2005, which is what, 15 years ago. Uh I think we should add all his engines to our list and cover it. It'd be interesting to see just how close and then we can do our own. We can do a review on it and then we can do a, a discussion on the comparisons. It'd be really interesting because honestly, I'll, I'll tell you right now, the ending of all his engines is far different yeah. from what I do remember that in city of angels. I do remember that. Yeah. Now the 10th episode of the NBC television series, Constantine quid pro quo 
is actually considered a loose adaptation of all his engines with the demon Barol replaced with DC Universe supervillain Felix Faust and Chaz's daughter being the victim of the curse instead of his granddaughter. Yes. Uh, the episode also takes the creative liberty of providing an origin for supernatural healing powers for Chaz. I think that was probably one of my complaints. Like, I love the Constantine TV show, but you can't take an entire run, an entire book, and, and adapt it by condensing it into a 47-minute episode. Yeah, because like it, it, there's gonna be there's gonna be details that will be missing, and those details will honestly change characters. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, that episode was a decent episode. It was not a bad episode. It's just kind of a travesty. Like, wait a sec, you're taking this awesome book here and putting it into one effing episode. If it could have fueled an entire season, easily. When you think about it, easily. Yeah. Especially with the the premise of Constantine having to to deal with the five different demons mm-hmm. and then having to summon the Aztec god, Ugh. that all by itself seems like it could be two were, seasons. It could have been a two season run. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like first and foremost, John has to deal with the demons. Then he has to deal with uh, I I can't say the Aztec god's name. It's Mitchul. It's, it's Michulanti or something. And then it's Mick to Lakuthi. Mick to Lakunti. Not Kunti. Kunti. Mick Lakunti. <laughs> Come on, Dave. That's inappropriate. <laughs> but like him dealing with all of that and then you condense it in like 47 minutes. That's a rush. Yeah. Well, that's a rush job. If right you there. go back to like early HBO days. Like around the days of Sopranos and uh, Deadwood, I can almost see this run, all his engines being the backdrop for the entire run of a show. Think about it: every season you deal with one new demon, and the end game is Nurgle. Is Nurgle and retrieving Chaz's daughter's soul or her? Yeah, her soul. Oh, easily. That, that's a five-year show, right? Five-year there. run. But nowadays, everyone kind of rushes adaptations and rushes TV series because our attention span has has changed drastically since, you know, mid 2000s. So and the CWC series Constantine City of Demons is based on the graphic novel. (laughs) So stupid. Of course, we know that (laughs) while being a relatively faithful adaptation, according to this media statement here, it features some unique elements such as Barol being a disguise for spoiler and a variation of the Newcastle incident. Yes. Yeah, those are the more obvious standout changes, right? Because there are other ones. I Like, the ending, I think, is is very different. The ending is very, very different. And honestly, that's where I was really surprised with the ending as a Constantine fan. That's where you're going to go. Because... Without giving any spoilers, to me, certain characters in Hellblazer go together and they always have to come together. And when you get to the end of this movie, certain characters are obviously never going to see each other again. 
I don't know if you want to actually discuss about that because it no, gives no, away too, much, I mean, too many spoilers. Let people know, hey, we're going into spoilers yeah. right now. If you've never watched the movie, you might want to skip forward about two or three minutes. Two or three minutes. Just give me two or three minutes because the one thing that was very interesting to me is the fact that the fate of Chaz. Because Dude, it was so sad. It's sad and it fit. It fit the story narrative. Don't get me wrong. It yeah. fit that type of... No, it worked. It, that story that you would expect out of Constantine, but for the fact that Chaz gets written out of Constantine's life, basically Chaz is no longer part of Constantine's life. They lose each other. It's like, well, this definitely changes the dynamic of the Constantine character because to us, Chaz is kind of like Constantine's conscience. Right. And I mean, even if you think about it, like with the recent comic book, uh, the recent comic book series that came out right now with Hellblazer uh, coming back to the DC universe through the Sandman universe, Chaz played an incredible role to kickstart that up. I mean, the character of Chaz, I don't think a lot of mass audiences realize that Constantine and Chaz go together kind of like a, a hero and a sidekick. I hate to say Chaz they go is a sidekick. together like Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they just don't make out. <laughs> just, yeah. But like in the very end, the price that Constantine pays, I was like going, that was cool. Yeah. That he basically tells Chaz that, yeah, the it it focus on the word curse. I had to give a little more juice to it. So everything about us also gets forgotten and right. then Chaz slowly forgets him. Yeah. And that's why I was saying that it's not about, it's not just about redemption for a lot of people. Redemption means they want people to recognize that they have changed their ways. Not all the time, but a lot of times that is what re- redemption means to people. Like people, they need to know that people need to see that I've changed. I need to be redeemed. Yes. But the redemption wasn't about how people perceived him. Constantine, because yeah. he was willing to let everyone forget what he did. And at the t- at the same time, in order to save his best friend's daughter, he was willing to lose his best friend and be alone and not even get credit. It goes right back to that. Would you drop a hundred dollar bill into a blind man's cup who can't hear it? Or are you going to drop change so that he can hear it? Yeah, it's an amazing way to end the movie. That right there was the icing on the cake. The movie, I was already sold. Yes. I was sold 10 minutes in. But the way it ended, it showed me just how well the producers of this film understood the the character of John Constantine. Of John Constantine. And, like, the fact that he's left with one little demon of his... When that little demon comes up to him and says, oh, yeah, it was a pain in the ass. It's, so, it's, it's surviving. It's so poetic. Too. And it's so poetic yeah. because John is just by himself with his own little demons. Yeah, it's good. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And that's what won me over is kind of like, okay, the, yes, you changed a major concept, and a concept to John, but you still kept the character intact. And this is why I always say, you can... You can you can play it loose with the adaptations. Don't play it fast and loose, but you can pay, play loose with adaptations as long as you understand the source material. The source if you material. truly understand it, then you can go almost any direction and no one's going to get pissed off. 
It's going to feel sincere if you understand what you're working on. And this is a this is a perfect example of that. Dave, I think most people know our final thoughts by this point. If you want to say a couple things and then also share your RMD score, we can end today's broadcast. RMD score for this one, I give this a solid 95. It is a really great story on Constantine. I think it does a fine job adapting one of his really key storylines in all his engines. And But on top of that, they didn't just focus on all his engines. They decided to pull things that are really important to the history of Constantine. Yep. It, you know, his his uh, connection to Nurgle, the, the connection to the Newcastle incident where essentially his his origin is. That's that's what started John on the path to becoming the person he is today. And honestly, I feel that a lot of comic book fans need to give this a shot. They need to watch this. And especially if you're a Hellblazer fan, this honestly show could show everyone the potential of how great a Constantine series could have been. Yes, we we got the short-lived series with Matt Ryan in it, but seeing this one, man, it really makes me want to see the potential of John Constantine even more outside of an animation because the what they were able to pull off in just an animation beggars belief what in the world could they have pulled off with a live action movie well if they were allowed to do if this team was allowed to do what they wanted on a live action then yes but i just don't see the big wig studio execs saying, yeah, let's go. And I sign off on that for live action. That's a risk that basically I think WB and CW would probably definitely back up off. Wait, do what? The, I, I don't think they would. Yeah. You like, don't think they would approve it. I don't think they would approve it. Oh no. If I was the boss of Warner brothers, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and whoever you're going to cast as the queen of angels, uh, have her come on over. Uh, yeah, just not the old black man version of her. No, no, no. <laughs> that's what that's who they bring. They bring like uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Wait, wait, hold on. What, Morgan, what, 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 come on, what are you trying to push on me? <laughs> Morgan Freeman. <laughs> like Morgan Freeman. Come on. I mean, I love freckles, but please. So stupid. All right. Um, I, I'm gonna give this a 95 percent as well. It's a solid feature film. Let's not even get into the Constantine aspect for a second here. It's a solid feature film. I I feel like even if you're not familiar with John Constantine, you could actually turn this on and enjoy the movie. Yes. So as a movie, it's good. As a John Constantine picture, it's good. They did it. They've done it. They did a great job. So 95%. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. And good night. Going with my name is John Constantine. I'm the one who steps from the shadows, all trench coat and arrogance. I'll drive your demons away, kick them in the bollocks, and spit on them when they're down, leaving only a nod and a wink and a wisecrack. I'll walk my path alone because, let's be honest, who'd be crazy enough to walk it with me?